0: Well, good morning, and thank you for the opportunity to and the invitation to preach once again. But before um, I bring you God's Word, allow me a few personal remarks and some historical uh, notes, if you would. As Pastor Tom said, it is indeed 11 years ago today, January 16, 2011, that I was installed here as a pastor at Community, and I can hardly believe it. It just seems like yesterday. What a different world it is now. Certainly it is for our family. I remember at the time both my parents were here and my oldest sister was here and none of them are with us uh, anymore. My father-in-law was here and he's also gone now. Uh, It's a different time in the life of the church, as you can tell. And we're now preaching also online. And it's a different life in history. Let me take you back 11 years ago Uh, to that morning where I was introduced to the congregation, as you may remember, and the children were all sitting up front here. And one of the questions that they I was interviewed, and um, one of the questions that they asked the children was, how old do you think Pastor Carl is? Maybe some of you remember that. That's a dangerous question at the best of times. One child blurted out, 72! Well, I got news for that child even now. I'm not 72, and I would hate to think what their answer would possibly be now, after all these years. Then February 9, 2020, was the last in-person service that I led here at uh, Community. Of course, my other colleagues at the time led some of the other services. And then I preached three times online, from my living room, by phone, if, if you may remember, culminating with my farewell retirement sermon on May 31, uh, 2020, and I never did get to thank you in person, but I certainly appreciated the drive-by farewell and all your encouraging and kind words at the time of my retirement, and by the way, I am thoroughly enjoying my sabbatical as I hope Pastor Amanda will enjoy hers, except hers has an end date and mine just kind of Carries on. One of the gifts that I received upon retirement was this stole. This it's called an S-T-O-L-E is how it's spelt. This stole. You may have seen Pastor Amanda wear one from time to time in certain seasons of the calendar of the Christian calendar, and you'll probably also see Pastor Laura wear one as well. Certainly in the times that I've seen her preach. She has worn one, as she did last week when she preached farewell in Grand Haven. A stole is an old, old Christian symbol concerning the office of pastor. This one is not made to reflect a particular season in the church in the Christian calendar, but it's meant to be a reflection of my time in the ministry. The various colors of this stole have meaning. Blue for the waters of baptism. Green for growth and hope, which was meant to happen during my ministry. Uh, let me think here. Uh, purple for the kingship of Jesus. Red, a sign of the flames of the Spirit as well as ordination. Brown for the year that my wife and I and our family spent in Haiti. Orange for the small role that I played in birthing Resonate Global Missions. And as you can see, all the colors are blended together into this artistic tapestry, a symbol of how the ministry, how these meanings overlap in life and in ministry. There's also some very dark colors included, not if you can see them really well, but online I'm not sure how you're seeing all this. But those dark colors represent times of sorrow and frustration and loss and grief and anger and disappointment and other dark times. They, they kind of really represent the storms of life, if you will. But when you look at the fabric, and you can probably see it better from a distance, when you look at, it, at the fabric, it seems like the, the dark colors are swallowed by the lighter colors. Or better better stated, the dark provided a solid foundation for some of the other colors to shine. And then you can't see this, and you'd have to see it up really, really close, but over top of the woven pieces of cloth and the vast array of colors are words of belonging. The names of the congregations that I have served And the words of Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer one, reminding me and grounding me in the comfort and promise of the one to whom I belong, body and soul, in life and in death. You think, wow, that's quite something, all of that in here, and there's a whole lot more. I didn't come up with any of those descriptions. This is a handmade gift made by the hands of Reverend Joy Engelsman from Colorado. I served with her as co-chair of the new mission agency, which later became Resonate Global Mission, and some of you may remember the time when I served on that. And it was given to me also by Pastor Amanda. So the two of them, two dear colleagues, sat together, Talked about my life and ministry and my involvement with them and their involvement with me, and they came up with this incredibly beautiful stole. And I promised them that I would wear it the first time that I was back on the pulpit. And lo and behold, here it is—16 years later, or less. Sorry, 11 years after my installation at community, that I have the privilege and the honor of wearing it today. Actually, thinking thinking about the dark colors being overcome by the brightness of the light colors makes it a very fitting object for this morning as we consider the word of the Lord from the Gospel of Matthew. But before we read the Bible, please join me in prayer. Prepare our hearts, O God. Help us to receive. Break the hard and stony ground. Help our unbelief. Plant your word down deep in us. Cause it to bear fruit. Open up our ears to hear. Lead us in your truth. Your word is living light upon our darkened eyes. Guards us through temptations. Makes the simple wise. Your word is food for famished ones, freedom for the slave. Riches for the needy soul, come speak to us today. Show us Christ. O God, reveal your glory through the preaching of your word until every heart confesses Christ is Lord. Amen. Would you turn with me in the Scriptures to Matthew chapter 14, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 14, And we're going to read the verses 22 through 32. Matthew 14, the verses 22 through 32. Following the feeding of the 5,000, as Pastor Amanda preached about it last Sunday, we read these words. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, even before my retirement, but perhaps more so lately because we're so much more aware of it maybe, it seems that the world is a dark stormy, and scary place. The pandemic has torn through country after country and taken more than 2.5 million lives worldwide, made people sick, wreaked economic havoc, and changed life as we are used to it. It seems like there's a lot of anger everywhere. People are angry with each other and with the world and with everything. Education is in flux at all levels, of schooling, in class, and then online, causing much dismay and frustration. Mental health seems to be the order of the day. Mental health issues seem to be the order of the day, and one is overwhelmed and wonders what can be done to help those who are struggling. Long-term care homes are challenged beyond compare. Meanwhile, the opioid crisis is increasing and thousands of Canadians have died, and all sorts of other diseases and treatments are made to take a backseat to COVID because hospitals are overwhelmed and frontline workers are fatigued beyond understanding and quitting and, well, you know the story, some all too well. And if the pandemic and and its consequences are not enough to make us want to stay in bed and not face each new day, there's always those dramatic weather stories that make us want to yell, enough already, stop the world, I want to get off. Fires, floods, volcanoes, drought, record high and low temperatures, tornadoes, hurricanes, rising sea levels, climate change and so forth are seemingly the discussion and order of the day. And then I haven't said anything yet about racism or or residential schools and the abuse of Aboriginal population of this land. I haven't said anything yet about affordable housing and many who are living on the street or domestic abuse or violence that seems to have increased. And then there's that Russian aggression against the Ukraine and the continued battles fought by those seeking justice for the downed Ukrainian airliner that killed so many people. The list can go on and on, and on. When we look beyond us, it's a dark, stormy, scary world. How long, O Lord? How long? Come, Lord Jesus. But it's not just a dark, stormy, scary world out there. Even in our own lives, storms, can rage, and we can become, oh, so tired as we deal with illness and broken relationships and being laid off and having no income and online learning and juggling family time and work and being home and the pandemic and being lonely and cut off from those we love and so forth. And when we are facing death in our family, things can become dark and stormy. And scary. It's no wonder that quite a number of this congregation are using CAP and are going for counseling, for anxiety, and for depression. I know that all of this sounds rather heavy, and maybe we don't really want to hear it. But for many, the reality is that life, despite all of the good things that it has to offer, can nonetheless be dark. And tiring, as Pastor Amanda mentioned last week, as she preached just prior step to stepping out for her sabbatical. If you want to see someone who's tired, Pastor Amanda is tired and fatigued. It may be a down, considered a downer to mention all these things and so much more, but it's important that we name the things that are happening. We ought not to ignore them, we ought not to complain about them either. But we ought to lament them as many psalmists, many a psalmist lamented the situations they found themselves in. Oh Lord, how long? How long can this kind of life go on? How long do we have to face all of this? But besides our lament and our questioning, how long, oh Lord, how long, we need to ask the question, so now, okay, how do we keep on going? What is it that gets us through the dark, stormy, scary world that we are facing? What, where ought our attention to be? And Pastor Amanda addressed that last week, if you remember, and if you haven't seen it, then please watch it online. She went through a whole list of self-help things that we can do to get us through. Remember she said Peloton and organizers and apps and such things that we can buy or download to distract us from all the darkness around. Or as one radio station puts it, we can listen to beautiful music for a crazy world. Various counseling techniques can also help us cope. But while such things may help us cope or help to distract us and thereby do wonders for our mental health, the reality is that ultimately these sorts of things are only temporary and certainly they will not provide us with that peace that passes all understanding as the Apostle Paul talks about it. So if the Peloton and organizers and various mindfulness apps or exercises, while perhaps helpful for the moment, cannot really provide the shalom, the restoration, the peace that we crave, where do we turn? Well, last Sunday we heard an invitation from Jesus to come to Him and to to rest a while, And as Pastor Amanda worked that out for us, she was pointing us beyond just literally resting, that is, sitting on the couch or sleeping or relaxing or listening to music. She pointed us beyond self-help approaches to Jesus. And she mentioned he's just not another self-help program or item, but Jesus is the very one who offers the bread of life. Jesus is the one who sat people down on green grass, as Mark noted, and fed them. He's the good shepherd who meets the needs of those before him. And he did so by giving his very life and overcoming the grave. And that's where we pick it up, because the passage we read from Matthew 14 this morning also points us beyond the present reality to Christ, to the Good Shepherd. And if you have your Bibles open to Matthew 14, you will note that the chapter has three stories in it. It begins with the story of the execution of John the Baptist, who is Jesus' cousin and forerunner. Herod killed him, Herod had him executed, and after hearing such news, verse 15 tells us, Jesus withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. No wonder. How many of us don't need some time alone after hearing some terrible news But the crowds were unforgiving and not understanding of Jesus' need to be alone. They followed him on foot around the lake, around the Sea of Galilee, and they came to him with their sick and all their other needs. And Jesus had compassion on them. Of course, he did. He's the good shepherd. He had compassion on them, Matthew tells us. And he healed their sick, and then when it became late in the day, he also provided them with food, the second story. The people ate and were satisfied, and there was more food than they knew what to do with. God's abundance was evidence in this story. But by this time, Jesus must have been physically and emotionally exhausted and drained. He badly needed to spend some time with his Father in heaven So once the people had been fed and their sick had been healed, Jesus sent them home, and he also sent his disciples ahead of him in their boats. And then once he was all alone, Jesus went to pray, to commune with his Father, to be encouraged in his spirit. Then he had Sabbath. Meanwhile, the disciples, without Jesus on board, began to row across the Sea of Galilee, the third story. From the northeastern shore of the sea, the disciples began to row toward Gennesaret, says Matthew 14, verse 34, located on the opposite shore. It was early in the evening as it was starting to get dark. Some of the disciples, like Peter, James, and John, were fishermen, so they probably weren't too worried about rowing at this time of the night. They often fished at night on the Sea of Galilee. Imagine the boat that they were in was not very large and not equipped with a motor or any other means of propulsion. It was small, perhaps the size of a voyager canoe. Oars were standard equipment on such boats, while perhaps the, maybe the little bit larger ones would be outfitted with a small sail of sorts. It was made out of wood and did not rise very high, far out of the water. It was easy to step in and out of that boat and easy for water to wash over the sides. This particular night, the boat was filled with the disciples, an uncommon load for such a boat. Usually two or three fishermen would be found in the boat, but now it was being used as a ferry, so it was filled with people. And to make matters worse, the wind was strong this night. And the further they were from shore, the worse the wind became, and it was against them in their face. It's hard enough to ride a bicycle into wind, never mind to row a boat directly into the wind. Those who are sailors will tell you that it's important to keep the bow of the boat direct, boat directly into the wind, or else the waves will wash right over the side and swamp you. And the fishermen on the board this boat knew this too. But it was becoming increasingly difficult. Matthew records in verse 24, the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. It was rather obvious after some time that the disciples were in trouble. Even the sea-hardened fishermen must have been filled with fear. It was hard to make any headway The wind tended to make the boat go off course and get spun around so the water would wash over the sides and soak everyone sitting there. They must have bailed like mad and rowed with all their might, only to be frustrated in their efforts because they were making no headway. Their worst fears were being realized. Unless the storm would stop, they might very well all be drowned at sea in the dark. Picture it, the wind is howling, the waves don't stop, don't give any break at all. You're wet and you're tired. It's pitch dark with all the light of the stars and the moon gone because of the clouds. Jesus, the wonder worker, the master of wind and waves, was not with them this time like he was on another occasion as recorded in Matthew 8. And the disciples figured that this was the end of their lives. And then rather than, getting things, rather than getting better, for the men in the boat, things were about to get worse. Because, as Matthew records, during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Now that's good news ultimately, but not from their perspective at that particular point. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. The night was broken into watch periods of three hours each when someone would be awake and on the lookout to make sure the boat would be safe. The fourth watch is from 3 to 6 a.m. So it seems that from anywhere from 6 to 10 hours, the disciples had been fighting the storm. They probably had very little sleep, if any, that night. And now they saw, of all things, what appeared to be someone walking on the water directly toward them. But people don't walk on water. That's weird. That's scary. One of the superstitions alive among the fishermen was that there was some sort of a monster or spirit of the water who could be seen from time to time in the storms on the sea. And seeing such a ghost or such a creature, such a ghost or specter, would mean bad luck, said the superstition. And it would mean basically that that specter has come for your soul. So storms were to be avoided at all costs. Of course, the biblical image of the sea indicated chaos and death. Hence, on the new earth, we are told that there will be no more sea, no more chaos or death. But when the disciples saw Jesus, although they didn't know it was Jesus walking on the water, they considered they, they were convinced that they were done for. All their worst fears and all the things they had heard about ghosts and monsters and about seas and about storms and so forth had come true in their minds. Surely this was their final moment on earth. In a few moments, that monster, that specter, that apparition would plunge their little boat to the bottom of the sea and they would be destroyed forever. And so they're filled with terror. But now look at it from Jesus' perspective. Look at what Jesus did. It's a remarkable thing. He was not merely content to pray for his disciples up there on the mountain. But he also came down to them, to their distress, to their trouble in the storm of the sea. And the fact that there was water there was really of no consequence to the Lord of all, the Lord of life, the Lord of wind and waves. He merely walked on it as though it was a field or a sidewalk. And he went right to his disciples as they sat helplessly in that boat being tossed about by the wind. There was simply no way that they could save themselves unless someone did something extraordinary. And if the storm did not die down or if something miraculous did not happen, then they were all to be lost at sea. And then Jesus came to the people walking, I'd caught up in panic and fear because of the storm all around them. Of course, his walking on the water only filled the disciples with greater fear until he called out to them, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. That is to say, the very Lord, the great I am, who has called you and chosen you to be, uh, to be his disciples. Who has been with you and who has given you so many proofs of his love and power? It is he who is coming to you. Do not be afraid. Take courage. It's an incredible scene. The wind is blasting all around, and the waves are splashing into the boat about to swamp it, and the disciples are shaken to their very core. And then in a very dramatic fashion, they are reminded of Jesus, the Lord of life, the Good Shepherd, who sat people down on green grass and leads them by quiet waters, the very one who restores their soul and who feeds them to satisfaction. How wonderful. This is the gospel. This is the good news of the scriptures. What happened here in Matthew 14 tells us about Jesus and what it is that he had come to do. Coming out to the disciples in the middle of the storm amidst all their helplessness and amidst their great fear is exactly why Jesus came to this world in the first place. While we were yet sinners, says the Apostle Paul, Jesus came and died for us while we are battered about in life by sin and by all the temptations that surround us, and while we experience brokenness and illness and pandemics and wild weather and rumors of war and frustration and so on, and as we face our greatest fears, Jesus moves into our neighborhood. He moved into our neighborhood. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus comes to us walking right through the storm, so to speak, and he says, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. I am the Lord who has given my life for you. I am the Lord who has given my life that you may live. Ultimately, you cannot be hurt. There's nothing that can separate you from my love. No storm, no fear, nothing. Look to me. Trust in me. Peter heard it. Peter was thrilled. Jesus' words brought an immediate calm to his heart, and he asked if he could come to Jesus. He trusted the Lord without question and did something that probably very few of any of us would even consider doing. He asked if he could come to Jesus on the water. And then without any criticism or rebuke or warnings of any sort, Jesus gave Peter permission to come. And so in the middle of the storm, of all things, Peter stepped over the side of the boat and he walked on the water. As long as he looked to Jesus and trusted in Jesus, things went well. But when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink he cried out lord save me one writer suggests quote the lord permits us to try our strength that we may discover our weakness interesting and the lord's response to peter was to reach out his hand and to pull him back up out of the water so that they could return to the boat together jesus said You of little faith. Why did you doubt? Can you imagine? Jesus called Peter a man of little faith, even after what he had done. He got out of the boat and walked on the water. How many of us would have asked to come to Jesus on the water in the midst of the storm? We like to think of Peter as someone with great faith, someone to emulate, someone to honor, but Jesus knew better. You of little faith. Peter had not fully taken to heart the comfort and the courage that he would have received from the presence, promises, and power and love of Jesus. Peter turns out to be, thankfully, oh, so human. Like the rest of us, he was weak and he needed the Lord Jesus. Without Jesus, Peter would have been lost in the sea. How wonderful, how wonderful the gospel in our helplessness, as we are being tossed about in the storms of life, we are, as we are confronting our greatest fears, as we hurt and are frustrated and wonder about our very existence, as we even face death, Jesus comes to us and he says, Look at me. Take courage. Don't be afraid. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the author and the perfecter of your faith. As the songwriter puts it, shine through the gloom and point me to the skies, well, not just clouds, but to Jesus. Look to Jesus. And there is something else which is marvelous to understand, and that is that our future, our stepping out of the boat into the waves does not depend on our own strength or even on the strength of our own faith, but it's all dependent upon Jesus and His strength and on the victory that He has won. Had Jesus not come to the disciples, had Jesus not reached out his hand to Peter as the disciple was sinking, all would have been lost. You of little faith. It's by grace through faith with the emphasis on grace that one has a future with the Lord even amidst the, the, the seeming chaos of our lives and that's something that I think most of us have a hard time understanding and really taking to heart. We figure we have to be strong and towering heroes of faith in order to be accepted in the kingdom. We figure that we have to do something to be called his son or his daughter, but that's not so. Salvation is from Jesus, not from us. Salvation is dependent on the Savior, not on those being saved. And that's certainly something that Peter must have learned as Jesus grabbed his hand and pulled him up. And then when Jesus had come to them and after he rescued Peter, then when they climbed in the boat, the wind died down. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. It is Jesus who brings shalom and peace amid the storms of life. It's something we don't understand. It's that peace that passes all understanding. As the songwriter put it, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Indeed, look to Him, And you will be able to say with the psalmist, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, and we will walk on through the storms. Amen. Father Father in heaven, Lord of creation, the storms are raging. We are so very aware of them, even though sometimes we don't want to talk about them because it gets us down. But we're aware of the storms that are raging, and they fill us with fear and anxiety and stress, and we are oh so tired of it all. Shine through the gloom, Point us to the skies. Help us to look to you. And thank you, Lord Jesus, for being obedient to the Father and for stepping into our messed up world and for walking among us in this stormy, dark, scary place. Thank you for your victory over sin and over death. Grant us your peace,